Sometimes the only thing more expensive than being insured is not being insured. Depending on how you itemise the cost centres, insurance is, for most ship owners, the second largest outlay after crewing costs, typically accounting for about 10 to 15% of OPEX. Now, it's hard to itemise the bill in dollar terms, as there's so many variables involved, not least loss records. But, according to the Baltic Investor Indices, the all-in cost of insuring a cape size is currently pushing about $250,000 a year, and the hit for an MR tanker is well over twice that. Some covers are optional, some are not. Protection and indemnity insurance, effectively the third-party fire and theft of the shipping world, is mandatory. Uh, a so-called blue card, issued by a P&I provider as proof that cover for oil pollution liabilities is in place, is nothing short of a ticket to trade. Which, of course, brings us to the topic of this week's podcasts. The P&I niche is currently about halfway through the annual ritual known as the Renewal Round, the months leading to the traditional hard deadline of February the 20th. By that point, 90% of the world fleet by tonnage will have renewed P&I policies with one of the 12 clubs affiliated with the international group. The period from late October to mid-December sees the marine mutuals that make up the IG set out their pricing policies for the year ahead. At the time of recording, we were just over the halfway mark, with seven clubs having set out their stalls. All of them are demanding some money. The silver lining here is that the rate of increase is slowing down. To date, three clubs have said that they are seeking price hikes of around 5%, and a further four are looking for about 7.5. That's only to be expected, being roughly in line with inflation in most OECD countries. Or to put it another way, it's a lot less than the price increase you'll have seen in your weekly grocery shop. Coming after the 10% seen in 2021, the 12.5% in 2022, and the 10% in 2023, compounding out at about 46%, it's an indicator that the clubs are on a surer financial footing than they have been for some time. Another marked feature of this renewal round is an increase in cashbacks. P&I clubs are mutuals, don't forget, making them an example of what economists call profit suffices rather than profit maximizers. If they do achieve an underwriting surplus and their free reserves pass a health check, well, they can decide to return some of that extra money. Indeed, on one argument, they are duty-bound to do so. Three clubs have opted for some sort of capital return this year, with Guard, the world's biggest P&I player, leading the way. Owners signed up with the Norwegians can look forward to a rebate of around 10% of last year's premiums, more than double the 5% target revenue increase. Our insurance editor, Dave Osler, has done a back-of-the-envelope calculation, as he does, and he's worked out that the sums involved run to over $80 million. But is this really an act of random kindness? What's the catch? Why not just cut prices and have done with it? These are all questions we put to our guests this week. They are being Jonathan Andrews, Chief Executive of Steamship Mutual, who was in dialogue with Alex Vullo, Director of the leading broker Gallagher, uh, Tom Bauscher, Chief Executive of West of England, and Thaya Catharavel, Chief Underwriting Officer at Britain's biggest P&I club, the recently merged North Standard. Our first clip sees Dave talking to Jonathan and Alex, for context, Jonathan has signed off on a board decision to offer steamship members a 7.5% cashback, more than wiping out a 5% rate hike. 
one one of the themes of this year's renewal round has been the distributions to club memberships with three clubs at the time of recording returning money under various guises. Now, Steamship um, Steamship Mutual strategy has been to seek a 5% general increase offset by a 7.5% cashback for owners who had entered mutual tonnage at the 2023 renewal deadline. Um, so the distribution uh, more than offsets the premium increase. What's the logic of doing it like that, Jonathan? Um, why not just cut prices? Well, we see them as two very distinct issues, David. The the capital distribution comes from the strength of the club's balance sheet, and that is achieved through stability in our operating performance, but also in the accumulation of capital that we achieve through the investment of the um, reserves that we hold on behalf of the members. So if you are um, achieving a, a, a uh, a ca- uh, an investment return, as we are at the moment, given the prevailing interest rates um, uh, in the region of five and six percent, say um, that quite quickly rebuilds your capital position from the losses of prior years, certainly the the 2022 um, financial year, and and you see um, uh, projected capital increasing quite significantly, always on the understanding that your underwriting performance is is break even or better. Um, so the board look at those things um, and, and decide whether um, we have sufficient to be able to release some of that excess capital back to the members. And, and it's in the nature of our relationship. We're, we're mutuals. We should be doing these things. We don't need to accumulate um, uh, significant excess capital. It's always nice to have some. But we don't need we don't need excessive capital in the business. Well, what do you say to that then, Alex? I mean, from the broker's point of view, and I suppose more importantly, from the ship owner's point of view. I think um, Jonathan summed it up quite nicely. Um, you know, the cashback and premium are two very different things. Um, the the issue with the market for the last three years has been in rating inadequacy in combination with claims. Um, some clubs have done better than others in terms of claims and performance, steamship being one of them. So as Jonathan says, when there's the ability to give back um, some capital back to the membership, um, in contrast, still trying to get the rates up to more adequate levels, it's helpful. Um, do the ship owners, um, you know, obviously they're going to see it as a positive because um, it, you know, it's, it's still um, going to help their budget, um, but they will also see their rates continue to, to increase um, which you know ordinarily you would see in 2024 anyway because of the, the fundamentals of a fair market so um, nothing much more to, to add to, to what Jonathan said okay well look, let me put to both of you a quote for me and Harris of uh, Tizers who said quote a very purist view would be that members of the club who contributed to any specific policy year surplus should be entitled to receive their proportion of that surplus, irrespective of whether they renew with the same club for the subsequent policy year. Is that a fair point? I think, I think from a, from the club management point of view, I mean, we're, we're very fortunate, David, that our members are long-term partners with the club. We don't have um, a constituency that is moving club to club policy year to policy year that just doesn't 
that isn't the nature of our our business and and the and one of the reasons why that's important is that we have uh, a very long tail liability to insure for them so any one policy year um is it's very, it's it's not the way that we tend to view our financial performance we look at a financial year outcome which is the um the net effect of of all of our um uh, uh outstanding liabilities so we we tend to look at these things more in the round reflecting the fact that our members are long term partners with us that we don't look at one particular policy be it bad or or good in performance terms um you know if you took that um uh, argument to its conclusion one very very poor outcome in a particular policy year would create um a hiatus on the other side of the equation you'd be asking for significantly more premium from a particular group of members in that policy year that wouldn't be right i don't think um neither would it be right to reflect um uh on a, a very good policy year for example the um uh, the outcome last year because of the the beneficial effects of the pool um we take it in the round we look at um the financial performance on a financial year basis and that is a better reflection we believe of um our 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 um our operations no right, alex and um, there's some there's some conflicting views on um on this particular subject um to the to the extent that you've got some members that have been in a club for let's say 30 years and they've helped um contribute to the club's financial position and they're getting um capital distribution off the back of that long-term relationship and then you've got members that have maybe in the club for a year or two years and start to get the same um reward let's say um but that's just good timing for, for them um so some some members could feel it aggrieved about that from from our perspective we you know we work for the ship owner we want to make sure they've got the the right premium levels or the most competitive rates available that also technically sound and keep a balance there um but you know cashback i think we will see come more into the fold um as the market starts to uh, stabilize in in the forthcoming years um and you're always going to have different views from different people um the the the, the clubs that are able to give cashback will be seen right. more positively than those that cannot it is noteworthy that the three clubs to have announced cashback so far are all rated at least a stable by standard and poors and therefore are not concerned about their ratings agency status when deciding to return any surplus i mean clubs with less favorable ratings will be keen to improve their standing and on S&P's methodology that normally means boosting free reserves is that a fair summarize of one of the factors at work i th- i think S&P have um a, a, a an in-depth understanding of the the P&I market um built up over many years now so i think they are interesting uh, observers commentators on the market we we um work very closely with them um in order to uh, ensure that they are, they are, they understand our our strategy and, and and where we are as a as a company um so yes i think it's something that that we observe um the um uh, you know the the decision making around um our our, our strategy is not determined by s&p it's determined by by the board of course 
Um, and that's what's um, driving us um, at, at the moment in terms of our capital management view. I, I think it's also true that um, S&P will look very carefully at underwriting performance as well. Um, so it, they'll look, um, and I don't know where the emphasis might lie for them, but they'll look at the, the, the capital adequacy, the capital solvency position of, of their, um, the companies they're rating, but they'll also look critically at, at how uh, the underwriting performances as well. And um, we're seeing that, I think, in the market at the moment. Alex? They're very rated clubs. David are uh, extremely well capitalised. Otherwise, they wouldn't have got their A rating. Uh, to get the A-plus rating, you have to have, um, and, and Jonathan, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, you have to have revenues in excess of a billion. Um, so S&P, from what we understand, are looking at the technical merits um, more so these days because of investment volatility. So um, if, if, if the combined ratios are looking more healthy, uh, they're probably not too concerned if some cashback goes back to the um, to the membership. And, you know, if Steamship are very generously giving 75 back, um, they're also trying to get the rates up um, by 5% to deal with the premium adequacy. You know, there's a, there's a net position thereafter, which is, uh, positive for the owner, but I don't think it's going to impact the balance sheet too much. Um, and, and, it, and it's there to help the budget, I, I suspect. I don't know if you think that's fair, Jonathan, or, or, or unfair. Yeah, that, that's right. I mean, obviously, um, we, we um, had our rating improved, the negative outlook um, that we had um, really across the industry following the, the poor um, pool outcome in uh, 2020 and 2021. Um, was removed for the club um, during the course of this year. Um, and that was a, a decision that was made around the, the improvement in our um, combined ratio that was reported at 20th February. Um, so the, it, that's the, that's the um, really the, the situation I was referring to. That they, they gave a negative outlook, notwithstanding that our capital position was exceptionally strong. They gave a negative outlook because of um, the claims development and the underwriting implications um, that followed that. Um, so it, they are, as I say, looking at two two big signals for for the for the uh, the clubs, both underwriting performance and capital. Right. In terms of the rate increases themselves, I mean, we're seeing a a sort of two way split so far with Guard Steamship and ship owners looking for 5% and Britannia, the UK club and West looking for 7.5%. These are the most modest general increases since 2020. So is the rate of increase slowing down? Can we expect more stable prices in future? What what, what do you say to that, Alex? Yeah, I think, um, you know, we've, we've been talking about PNR rises for the last three years, David. Um, I think in the beginning, um, we, we, we could see um, rates going up by 40 to 50 percent um, plus RI, and that that's come to fruition. Um, our outlook for the next three years is five to seven and a half for the next two years, and probably um, two and a half or zero to five percent um, in 2027. Um, very much depending on um, on claims, essentially. But the influx of that premium increase um, into the market takes time to see the results change so we we, we think p is becoming predictable again um it has always been fairly predictable but it's be even more predictable in terms of um we've passed the peak of the market um we just need to get through the next three years um which we think could see compound rises 
um, over that period to the tune of 15%. Um, but of course, that all needs to be negotiated. There's going to be other variables involved in that too. The biggest problem, the biggest challenge for the clubs is, as I say, dealing with the rating challenges and, and churn. Um, the world fleet's getting um, older. The ships that have been in the system for a long period of time are paying the biggest premiums. So in, in, in the next five years, you'll see that tonnage come out of the market and that premium also disappear. So that will um, drive some future challenges um, for the PNI market as well. Jonathan? I think that's a, that's a good point. Yeah, I'm just saying, David, I think that Alex makes a very good point about the impact of churn and how club underwriters manage um, that effect. I think it's, you know, it's, it's something that, that we ask our underwriters to look at fleet to fleet um, and the, you know, the, the situation will vary depending on the, 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 um, the way that individual ship owners replace their tonnage. Um, so I, I think I think that is an is a factor, and we we do um, look at that for individual members. Um, as far as the the um, future rating, absolutely, David. I mean, I think we're all looking to try and stabilise costs and and keep costs um, keep rating increases as low as possible. That's certainly um, uh, the the uh, instruction we get from our board. However, um, this is all driven by um, claims performance. And, and as um, uh, Alex says, you know, we're, we're going to be um, uh, looking very carefully at the way claims develop in order to set rates in the future. And, and uh, we've seen an awful lot of volatility, uh, particularly in the large claims, particularly those claims that fall on the pool um, where we make our contributions to other clubs. That's been the area where we found it um, most difficult to predict and to, to model outcomes. Um, and I don't think that's going to change. So um, whilst I, I share Alex's hope that we can limit um, general increases in the future to very low levels, we're going to have to wait and see. Right. And last question. Um, the extraordinarily benign pool claim situation we had last year, um, after two years when the scheme was running at record-breaking um, claims levels um, must be one of the factors that has contributed towards the current improved climate, the better combined ratios, the lower general increases. However, um, we were very lucky last year with you know, a one-off year of exceptional, um, of an exceptionally benign claims environment. Um, I hear that we're not shaping up so lucky this year. So, is that going to turn the pressure back on? I'm not sure about turning the pressure back on, David. I, I think that, uh, and you won't, you would expect this of us. We are very conservative and prudent in our projections of these these um, claims. So we're not um, looking at the 2022 policy year and, and, and expecting that to be repeated in the future. But neither are we looking at the the worst years and. and projecting our claims on that basis either. We're taking a, um, a mean, we're taking an average of, of performance and, and projecting on that basis. So, um, no, the current year is not surprising us. Um, it, it, it's still very much in its infancy in terms of claims development and an awful lot can happen um, in the next six to 12 months around these large claims um, as and the development of those claims. So, um, uh, I, I think we're, we're certainly not seeing a repeat of the very benign 
um, outcomes that, that are materialized in 2022, but um, neither is it beyond our expectations. Right. Any, any thoughts on this one, Alex? Uh, I see your, I see the question in two parts, uh, really. You know, the, the 2023 year is looking more like a, a tradition, traditional year. 2022 is lucky. Um, but let's not forget that 2019, 2020 and 2021 also saw some serious deterioration to the tune of around $450 million. Um, so, you know, the, the cost of dealing with very large claims is getting even more expensive. And, you know, with uh, improving um, technology and the demands on ESG requirements these days, um, you know, what you, you know, if you had a, a rep removal case where, you, you know, you can get down to the, to the, to the depth to remove um, a ship or part of the ship or whatever that might be, Today, the technology is getting sophisticated enough to, to now remove uh, REC, let's say, and that's going to cost a hell of a lot more um, in, in, in the future. So that's something to, to think about. And then the, the second part of that is obviously um, the reinsurance market um, uh, has had a bit of a respite from P&I losses. Um, and you know, the sentiment that we feel and hear from, uh, from, from that market is that 2024, should also um, see a flattening um, of reinsurance um, pricing um, and maybe even a small adjustment downwards for dirty tankers and passengers. Um, but we don't know that for sure. It's only kind of what we hear in the market. Um, and and we'll, we'll, we'll have to wait and see what happens in, in the next few weeks, I suspect. West of England is one of the international group's middleweights, some way behind Garden or Standard, but some way ahead of the smaller clubs. Its chief executive, Tom Bowsher, is well known for his policy of de-risking, which is a polite way of saying that owners with poorer claims records have been told to look elsewhere for their blue card. Two years ago, that meant bidding farewell to 20% of the club's book. But Bowsher's leaner but fitter strategy seems to have had the desired effect. The following year, West achieved its first positive combined ratio for some time, at 97%. In other words, total expenditure on claims and operating costs was three percentage points less than premium income, which meets the famous happiness criteria of Dickens' character Wilkins Micawber. Nevertheless, it is nevertheless its members face a seven point five percent general increase this year. West is not in the position to make a distribution, but it would do so if it could, explains Tom. So West of England is this year opting for a 7.5% general increase, more for owners with poorer claims records and increased deductibles. I mean, that is West's lowest increase for three years, but still puts you at the upper end of this year's spectrum. So what would you say by way of justification? Um, well, I think uh, you're right. Uh, it is the lowest general increase that we've applied. We're still a club that feels the general increase is a helpful and uh, the fairest tool to use at Renewal. There is a, a, a split now within the group as to how each club approaches the, the, the uh, Renewal as far as looking at increases. Some now have internal targets. Um, we are seeing still claims inflation. Um, we are both social and economic. Um, we also uh, see some trains, trends in claims that we are a little bit concerned about in certain sectors. 
uh, some of which have been acknowledged by our peers in the group as well, as well as the international group generally. Um, and if you look at the average combined ratio across the group last year, it was still over 100% at around 104%. And that was despite a very, very benign uh, pool year. So um, I think there is still some work to do across the group. Um, we've not never been afraid of stating what we need and ensuring the club's capital position continues to strengthen, which it is doing. And um, we're very transparent about that. Okay, great. Thanks. Um, one of the themes of this year's renewal round is that three of the clubs that have announced so far are offering cash refunds to members in one case offsetting the rates increased twice over um what are your thoughts on that um yeah is this something west would consider if it were in a financial position to do so yeah of course we're a mutual um if we are in a position to uh, return cash back to our members we will do that and we we review this on an annual basis um, at the moment, whilst the club's uh, capital position has strengthened considerably from a few years ago um, and we're well within the tolerances set by our board, which is a member board, as you know, so uh, members entered with the club. Um, we feel at this renewal it's a bit premature to be looking at that. Um, I think, though, those there are three clubs. I imagine my forecast will be they'll probably be the only three clubs that give money back, but I might be wrong but I think most clubs now have announced. Um, and they are in the fortunate position to be able to do that. Uh, it is, does vary across those three clubs as to the actual amounts that are being handed back. Um, but, um, you know, good for them. Uh, but the fact is they are all announcing an increase on the renewing rates, which shows that they still feel like the West, that there are, um, there are certain areas that need to be addressed. And so the underlying premium of those clubs, like the West and the other clubs, will slowly increase um, to reflect the pressures that we're all under at the moment, as I alluded to a moment ago. Right. Uh, you spoke to Lloyd's List in June and highlighted the prospect of what you described as unprecedented back-year deterioration. Um, are you still worried about that or has that eased off, that, that spectre? Well, in June, I think uh, your memory is better than mine, but I think it was more to do with the pool. Um, the pool uh, development, which we were seeing, um, was unusual and unexpected. We saw significant pool deterioration across particularly 2020 and 21. Um, and uh, looking at the claims development of those years compared to prior years and more recent history, it was very, very unusual. Uh, the Danit and the Beijing uh, pollution incident off California um, produced two pool claims that both exceeded the 100 million and into the excess layers. Um, and um, all clubs have had to absorb that. And so whilst our own members claims uh, trend are improving and we are seeing some improvements on the back years, which is what I referred to in our recent circular, um, the one concern which I've heard from many of my peers as well has been the pool deterioration that we've seen. All right. Um, you mentioned earlier combined ratios, um, which you said you thought was still too high, 104% on the average. On the other hand, though, that is a lot better than we've uh, seen in recent years when clubs have been going as high as 140, 150. I, I noticed that um, 
yourself, you made a small surplus last year. You came in at 95%. Um, is that a point to the we're witnessing some sort of welcome return to stability or are we not out of the woods yet? Um, well, we have, talking about West very briefly, yes, we've made significant uh, improvements to our technical performance. And I think we well, we were in the upper quartile of the group last year um, uh, in the 90s, as you say, and we did have an underwriting surplus. We did have a, as all clubs did, have a, a, an investment loss, which is a paper loss, but it's still nevertheless a loss. So that's why we saw reductions across most, I think, all free reserves bar one club. Um the pool last year's results though are heavily weighted towards the the, the very benign pool. So this time last year, I still don't think we'd had a pool play notified, which is incredibly unusual. Um, mm. If you had a more normalised pool, uh, I would say you could be on average adding around ten to fifteen percent on some of the combined right. So that's that's the point. And what we're seeing this year is a more normal pool. It's still relatively quiet as pool claims and pool years go um but we have i think it's seven claims as that today um i think there are a few other claims out there that are, that are yet to be um declared to the to the to the pool and those clubs are obviously working on those but we are seeing that normalize a bit more so um if you did normalize the pool for last year then the combined ratio the average of 104 across the group would probably be more like 115 maybe higher one teens and that therefore there still is an underlying rating issue for right. the day-to-day -day claims. Right. Uh, finally, another live topic right now is sanctions, of course, particularly the role that marine insurers are expected to play in ensuring compliance with the Russia oil price cap. Um, how much effort are you having to put into that compliance? Is that taking up a lot of management bandwidth? Yeah, it is. It's a huge... Um, area uh, and top area focus that, that we are having to address, all clubs are. Um, yeah, there's a lot of work that goes with monitoring ship movements and ensuring we have the necessary documentation in place. Um, we are tier three actors, so we're not here to enforce those sanctions um, as a tier one or a tier two actor would be. Um, but yeah, it is a huge amount of work, something we take incredibly seriously at the West. We have seen certain vessels um certain vessels cover terminated as a result of sanctions um but we also work with our members to ensure that they get the necessary guidance because this is an area that is not particularly easy to follow uh there are changes in the sanctions frequently um and if you look at our website and the work that we do we're here also to advise and guide our members not just look at those that are potentially in breach of them and some may be unknowingly in breach, and we work with those members as well. But um, it, it's both monitoring it and ensuring that we abide by those sanctions, as well as giving the necessary advice and guidance to our members as well. Our final guest is Thaya Cathravel, Chief Underwriting Officer of North Standard. The North of England P&I Association was founded in 1860 and the Standard Club in 1884, the current entity dates back as far as February 2023, when the two previous rivals joined forces. What are North Standard's pricing intentions for 2024, I hear you ask? Well, when we pressed the record button on this clip, we still didn't know. The club held a board meeting on Wednesday and Thursday to make the crunch decision. That queued up Dave nicely with an obvious first question. 
Okay, so the obvious starter question, I guess. North Standard held its board meeting on Wednesday and Thursday this week. What did you decide for the renewal round? So thank you, David. Good good morning. So we've we've had uh, a couple of days of meetings so earlier this week in Windsor, uh, and um, the the board are coalescing around uh, a general increase mechanism again for the 2024 renewal. We are likely um, to announce a five percent general increase for PNI and FD&D, uh, and that will that will probably follow on Monday. Cashbacks have been perhaps the big theme of the current renewal round, with three clubs choosing to redistribute some of their surplus to members. Um, why didn't North Sander decide to go in for one? So I think there is a, there is an interesting mix of reasons for why certain clubs have been giving um, capital returns or, or cashbacks, as you call it, David. Um, the clubs are all in at different places in terms of the amount of surplus capital that they might have. Uh, as North Standard, we, we made it pretty clear at the, the beginning of the merger process that the, the efficiencies and savings and the, the build-up of surplus capital would take uh, a few years. It wouldn't happen immediately. And so there was, as part of our original merger announcements last year, um, an anticipation that it would take a few years for us to get to the same position in terms of capital as some of the other clubs. And I, and I, in saying that, you're, you're probably referring to Garden and Britannia in particular. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm assuming you're going into the renewal round as a united entity and not two separate entities as you had to last year. Uh, that's correct, David. We are renewing as North Standard, um, the combined entity now for the first time at the 2024 renewal. Uh, the members will receive um, a, a consistent uh, renewal message, renewal offer, and the documentation will be consistent as well as North Standard. North Standard's combined ratio for the last policy year came in at 92%, which... I think was second best in the international group. Does that give you any leeway on pricing this year? Is there a bit of slack there, maybe? So the combined ratio was actually 95%, uh, not 92%. Um, it was amongst the, the best results uh, in the international group. But I think it was largely born out of a, an exceptionally good pool claims year. Um, I, I think... Um, and, and certainly the 2023 year has already revealed that pool claims are slightly more elevated uh, than they were in 2022. Um, but it also, um, the general increase rather, also reflects the fact that we do need to price in for inflation going forwards and for premium churn. And that's why um, there will be a general increase uh, as, there, as there has been for most clubs already. Right. Uh, so tell me about the progress of the merger. Is everything going smoothly? Uh, yes, David. Um, the, the, the merger involves a lot of hard work, obviously, but the target operating model for the combined club um, is in place. 
the teams, certainly the client-facing teams, are all in place in the new structure. Um, and, um, you know, in terms of processes and procedures, that, that is all very much in place, ready for this, for this renewal. Not just for the mutual renewal, but for the renewal of all the diversified and specialty sectors as well. Um, right, so one final question then. Another big issue for the clubs right now is sanctions. I mean, it's pretty much public knowledge that North, as was, lost Russian-owned tonnage it could no longer legally insure last year. Is the issue still a headache for you? Um, yes, we, we did we did have to cease our um, entry for Sofcom last year, as did a number of other clubs who also had um, uh, that particular large tanker owner uh, as a member. Um, the sanctions issue is now playing out in, in the way in which uh, the legal carriage of uh, Russian oil is permitted under the price cap and the monitoring and enforcement of that price cap by, uh, by the various countries, the US, the EU, the UK, uh, etc. So it's, it's, it's more to do with the the um, the ability and the legality of carrying uh, Russian oil um, at, at the moment that that remains the uh, the issue going forwards. And with that announcement from the North Standard, eight clubs have set out their stalls for next February, with news for the remaining four due before Christmas. What happens now is that owners will negotiate either directly with their clubs or through the intermediary of a broker for their P&I insurance for the 2024-2025 policy year. It's not the bun fight it once was. Churn is dramatically diminished from even a decade ago, with fewer owners willing to go through the hassle of changing clubs to save a few bucks, not least because that entails having to pay a release call. But some underwriters will no doubt be willing to price keenly to win new business, and some fleets will probably change hands. You will get the very best coverage as the action unfolds from Lloyd's List. In order to read it, of course, you'll have to be a subscriber. Uh, head to lloydslist.com for our best rates. We'll probably be revisiting the outcome in another podcast anyway, nearer the renewal deadline, so keep your ears peeled for that one. But that's it for this week. Uh, my thanks to all the guests, uh, and my thanks to Dave for putting together these interviews. And thank you for listening. I'll be back next week with another edition of the Lloyd's List podcast. Have a good week. Bye. <laughs>